welcome back to a pair of dice lost podcast channel it's been a while since you know i ever i've led anything especially since i took my hiatus as a gm uh as always i'm julia uh with me here is my wonderful husband brendan hi guys uh and we were just sitting down talking and we realized it'd be kind of fun to do a behind the scenes of my werewolf game there were some questions that brendan had about what it was like running it and different sorts of things so we thought it'd be nice to share well especially of... with season one just having wrapped up yeah no um, oh god <laughs> well it, for us it wrapped up a couple months ago but yeah. um it, it literally like when it, this uh when this goes live uh, everyone else who's heard it will have it wrapped up like two weeks ago yeah so one of the big things that keeps coming up is people ask me what my GM style is, especially when I talk about, I want to run this again. Um, sadly, Cypher will not be returning uh, due to health issues, which makes me really sad because he's a great player and he adds a dynamic to the group that I think I'm going to miss. Um, you mean having a group dad? Yeah, like, it's going to be weird not having a group dad with us. But one of the things that people ask is like, well, what's, what's your GM style? And I kind of have to explain that uh, when I run Werewolf, it's not World of Darkness werewolf. It's Michael Bay's werewolf. <laughs> yeah. You really lean heavily into the... Well, I should say you leaned really heavily into the action aspect. The last half of the uh, season is a little bit more... Well, it's, quite a lot more social-based. So, I, I run games very cinematically. Um, and two of my favorite directors of all time have always been... Uh, have always been Quentin Tarantino. Okay. And, um... Oh, fuck. I, I feel really shitty for getting his name. Yeah, well, give me movies that he's done. Clerks. Oh, Kevin uh, Smith. I was about to say Jack Black. Oh, god damn it. No, we are not going to talk about Initial D right now. Okay. <laughs> so, Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino are notorious in two very specific... Uh, ways in which they overlap, and that is dialogue. Dialogue and social interactions in both of those types and both of those directors' films is always incredibly important. Um, but where Tarantino different differentiates is that he's much more action, mm -hmm. whereas uh, most of what Kevin Smith tells is uh, character driven and socially driven. Right, right. So I kind of get a blend of those two. Well. And uh, just movie geek, like, popping in here. I think that it's more that Kevin Smith, it's not that he's not action-driven, because he does stuff with action. But it's not the focus. But it's not, it's never the focus, and it's rarely, like, what he's good at. I would he, agree with that. Yeah. But the, the thing with Werewolf is that it very much lends itself to a more action movie-style game, and that's always been how I've ran, so that's why when... I started writing this and I started uh, trying to figure out what kind of situations I wanted to put my players in. It developed into Michael Bay Presents Werewolf the Apocalypse. I mean, that's not bad so long as you know what you're getting uh, going in. So I did warn you guys ahead of time. I was like, this is going to be a very action-packed game because we just come out yeah. of a three-and-a-half-year-long, pol uh, very politically motivated game. Yeah, for Exalted, which we're covering on... Let, Let the, the good, good dice roll. roll. Yeah, yeah. That's I don't even know what to do with that with that uh, with that podcast once that we finish it up. I was so exhausted with political stuff, and like just in general, 
And Werewolf is weirdly political if you get down to it. I, I, I knew that. I knew that Werewolf could be political, but I also knew that I had new players who had never played one Werewolf, and more importantly, World of Darkness. Right. So, like, I didn't want to bog down new players with the minutiae. I wanted them to just get right into the meat and the fun of it. Which really, which really shows in the first half of the season. Yeah. Um, it is very, very action-oriented in the very first half. And then the later half is where I think you get a lot of the uh, the inspiration from Kevin Smith, like you were saying, where it becomes very uh, social-heavy. Yes. Um, which worked out really well for some of us, like me, who had some social graces, mm-hmm. and like Jake specifically, who played Cressemere, he just... Anytime that he's on scene, he is dominating that scene. It's great. Like, Jake is a fantastic player in so many different aspects. Like, having him in a game is always a treat because he is very intelligent. And I always know that with Jake, there's going to be an element of chaos. Um, Without giving too much away about his personal life, Jake works a a typical 9-to-5 office job in which he always has to be kind of, like, reserved and the adult in the situation. And so when he tabletops, I very much as a GM recognize that he does this as an outlet for, like, that chaotic demon that lives inside of him. Like, he wants to let loose and have fun in a controlled environment. So having him as a player and also knowing that he has such a strong background in creative writing in general, I know that Jake can bring to the table elements that I don't expect from other players. He's also uh, he's also incredibly good at just improving a scene. Yes, it just like it, it shows really well. It shows a lot in any of his interactions with uh, Jake is such a fucking with, with Joey Williams or any of the like like the um, I walk into the Denny's with a with a. So I literally wrote Joey Williams because I knew that it was an NPC that I could play with Jake. Okay. I I sat down when I was making like that first session. I was like, all right, who have I played with? What am I dealing with? What what are their limits? Um what can I kind of get away with? Because I'd spent so much time before we even ran that first session talking to each of you individually. Like, what do you want from this game? Mm-hmm. What do you expect from me as your GM? Uh, what what kind of interactions are you comfortable with? These are my rules. Like, I, had very, I have very strict boundaries when I run. Um, but I want to know what y'all's are. So when I was... I knew that Jake wasn't probably even going to have a name until midway through the first session. Mm-hmm. But I, knowing Jake, I knew kind of what I could deal with. And I knew that giving him a situation where he had to deal with a problem customer in a way that was going to give him a lot more freedom to do what he actually wanted to do mm-hmm. was going to be just brilliant with him. Right. Just, ugh. And that's why I gave Britt the scene that I did. And that's why you got the scene that you did. Because I knew that... If I put you in a situation where you got to rise up and be the hero, especially knowing that your character struggles to be perceived that way, I I knew that you would pl- that you would be able to like deliver for me on a like a performance level. I knew that I was going to be able to pull that kind of performance out of you. Right, and like through the through the season, I kind of struggle with that, which is the. Character development for uh, Ganon has been phenomenal. Like, just even the... Sh- the sh- I know it's been frustrating, and I know that uh, 
I can be a very difficult GM for you specifically because I do push your buttons a little easier than other people. Yeah, well, um, you've kind of like lived with me for like 10 years. I mean, we're married. (laughs) You kind of know the fucking buttons to push there. But for me, it's like, it's been so satisfying to watch Ganon develop in the short amount of time that I've been able to like sink my GM teeth into him. It's... It's so fucking rewarding. Like, every single one of these PCs that I that has been in this campaign has just been... It's been so amazing. And I'm excited to run again um, when Emily's able to actually rejoin the campaign uh, when she moves closer. Because I want to be able to continue that. She's the one player that I haven't really been able to draw as much out of because of scheduling conflicts. And she... Yeah, she just... Like, her schedule just did not mesh with ours at all she had a lot of technical issues with running discord and i Um, know for a fact that emily is one of the best role players i've ever met in my life mm -hmm. so and i make no i make no like i don't make any efforts to hide the fact that emily is my best friend in the entire world and her and i haven't played in a tabletop game in almost 10 years together and i knew that werewolf was her favorite setting and if i was going to run this game there was no way I was running it without my best friend. Right. Which is one of the reasons we took the hiatus. Mm-hmm. So, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you uh, specifically, you've already said that the inspira- the uh, the inspiration for like the theme and tone of the game it has been like Michael Bay's Werewolf and uh, dialogue-heavy stuff like Quentin Tarantino and uh, Kevin Smith. Why Vegas? Of all places that you could have run... Why did you decide to run in Las Vegas? Um, I went to Vegas when I was 17 years old with my dad. He was on a business trip. And when you're 17 and you're in Vegas, you're too young to do any of the fun adult stuff. And you're too old to do any of the fun kid stuff. You're in this awful, like, in between, like, if you're on vacation in Vegas. But I remember very, very vividly, my favorite part of that trip was my dad took me to a park. And it wasn't the Valley of Fire, but it was it was like something that I'd been interested in a little bit. And he drove me, like, it was just a park that you drove through. And there was this, this one, like, mountain or, like, stone structure that looked like a gnome. And it has always, like, I don't know why, but it has always stuck out in my brain. And then we drove from Vegas to L.A., and that's, like, one of the most memorable car trips I've ever had in my life. And I literally fell in love with the desert. A couple of years ago, it's not been, like, a full decade, but it's been about five or six years, Brendan ran a mixed World of Darkness game. And that was when I first got to play a werewolf. And I fell in love with the Silent Striders. And my character uh, is actually an NPC in this game, Aldenai, a Silent Strider. And she was from Vegas. And ever since that character, I haven't been able to get that setting out of my brain. Just, there's so much that you can do with a Vegas setting. Like, it's, it's, it's on, like, the edge of unconquered waste of unconquered wildlands like you have that huge desert around it right but then you have this massive city like that easily could be the setting for an entire series of dresden novels Mm -hmm. where weirdness 
isn't exactly unusual. Like, anybody can walk down the street on the strip and not really be that unusual. It's kind of like New York in that way. So when I thought about what would be a good introductory city, I already kind of had a story that was brewing in Vegas because of Aldenai and, like, the years that I'd spent fermenting on that character. And when I thought about introducing new players to Vegas, I didn't want to put them in a place or a situation where if they did something a little out of the ordinary, that they'd be necessarily punished socially. So Vegas just felt ideal for so many different reasons. Not only that, uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse typically at least the tribes that are centered in America are very Native American. And there's so much lore in that area that I like, I want to sink my teeth into that comes with like Native American legends of the desert and the way that magic works out there and the sacred places. Mm-hmm. And so years ago when I was researching what would have been a book about Aldenai as a werewolf in Vegas, I started looking at maps of the... Uh, of the city and started moving out into the into the desert and I started looking at the Valley of Fire State Park really heavily and that's when I found the Wounded Wing Oasis which is there's actual coordinates for it it's a man-made reservoir but I tweaked it for this setting or at least for this campaign to be like a natural cairn because you have nothing but desert around it and then you have these two massive beautiful lakes that look like broken butterfly wings and it just it it captured me okay okay um so let's see (sighs) so for the game are there any um any things that you really enjoyed from running this any like any, like, scenes that really stick out to you as, like, oh, this is, like, a defining moment of, of the game? Or any, like, things that just really kind of, like, just kind of stick with you? There's so much. <laughs> like, I've had so much fun with this campaign. Um, the, uh, the Fianna getting drunk outside of their cabin and the, uh, the constant theme of, uh, kill nazis has been great joey williams has been an un- unexpected just gym like i just wrote him as a one-off character that just like i thought would just be fun to harass you guys with in the first setting or in the first game and then like he became so like memorable that it was just such an ego boost to me that i didn't think i could make a character uh, an npc that you guys would just remember that well um my other other options are, let's see, oh god, everything that happened at the Helping Hands Medical Facility. That was just so much fun to run. Um, and of course the car chase. The car chase is the one thing I put the most work and like sweat and tears into. Um, there was, hang on, let me pull it up because I actually wrote down so much shit for this, it's ridiculous. Um, okay, so while you pull pull that up, I just have a real quick question for you. Then, besides Aldenai, um, who who is your favorite? Um, what's it called? Uh, tribal leader. Tribal leader? Yeah. 
Um, I really love Diarmid Morningside, and it kills me that no one's picked up on who he actually is. Okay, so who actually is he? So, let me see if I can't pull up... Okay, so... I have it written down. I, I have a whole list of major NPCs, and on that list are the tribal elders. Um, and for each one, it's got their name and what their concept is. And I believe I remember describing Diarmid as a man with a very taut face and high cheekbones and a wide grin with an almost goblin-like face. He's Willem Dafoe. Yeah. So it just, it was one of those situations where I just, because, uh, when Emily was describing the character she wanted to play, she said she wanted to be like an NRA Boondock Saints kind of character. And I was like, oh, you're getting Willem Dafoe. This okay. is perfect. And I was just like, oh, oh, he's so much fun. I love Diarmid. It gives me, one, it gives me the chance to use my Irish accent, which I never get to use. I love Minerva. Um, she's she's kind of like a McGonagall kind of character, mm-hmm. um, but much younger and a much more... Uh, a much less gentle Minerva, because Minerva's, uh, or McGonagall, because, again, McGonagall's actual name is Minerva. So, yeah, that's, that's where that came from. Um, and Crawdaddy, of course, has to make an appearance. Um, he actually did not make a, he got reference. He never made an appearance. He did, but we lost the audio for it. Oh, did we? Oh, yeah. Shit. Oh, yeah. Jake went to uh, Voodoo Donut, which, I, which is an actual location in Vegas, Um and he met the proprietor, which is Crawdaddy, who is your brother's old character, um, who's just this southern man from the bayou. And I just, ah, he's so much fun. Um, I love Bruce and Roth because their their uh, their tribes are constantly at odds with each other. But these two have bonded over the years, and they're basically like brothers at arms. Mm-hmm. And I wish that there were I had had more time to really develop them, but it's. At the end of the day, it's less about my NPCs and more about you guys telling the story. Okay. My PC, my NPCs are in the background. Um, but in terms of non-tribal leaders, I think I really love the uh, the two right hands that you guys have spent the most time with, which are um, Johnny, Johnny Wiseass, uh-huh. um, who's based off your brother. Um, yeah, I can, I, can, I can see it. Yeah. Um, and then Danny, who... You guys kind of picked up on. You haven't really gotten a lot of time with her. She was supposed to make an appearance during the car chase, but you guys actually didn't need her help. Um, she's a reference to my favorite band, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Perpetually reference a girl named Danny California. Okay. So anyway, so you were talking about the uh, the car chase and notes that you had on it so earlier. The um, car chase was the best thing I think I've written in years. So, uh, basically what happened was when you guys opened Odessa's door, or when Odessa's door opened, you had four turns to get the kids out. Mm-hmm. Turn five is when they started approaching the building. Okay. Um, it didn't exactly work out that way because the role play that you guys were doing was so good that I wanted to give you guys the chance to do it, so I delayed it a couple of turns. Um, the whole point of that uh, was to you were trying to just defend the defend the van, right? Um, Which I think me and uh, Sigurd 
uh, did pretty well by jumping out of the van and, mm-hmm. like, attacking uh, the everything else. I think that Jake and Britt were a little bit confused on how to defend a van. So, basically what I have of note is the Helping Hands is on the outskirts of town overlooking empty desert. It is approximately four in the morning. It is safe to assume the enemy doesn't know where the cairn is exactly. The primary objective is saving the kids. If the players are looking like they might lose, Danny and Johnny will show up on dirt bikes to help. But the PCs must direct how they want these allies to assist. Okay. Uh, Players that step into the Umbra for this part of the game run the very real risk of being left behind in the desert. Cypher's van doesn't exist there. So... If you guys had gotten separated from Cypher, you would have been stuck in unmarked desert waiting rescue. Um, and what was it? Oh, survival rolls can be made and to find water in the right direction to walk. Cell signal is weak. Ganon threw his away. You must survive 48 hours before help will arrive. And the Umbra is hard to navigate, but not, but not, but it is not impossible. Right. So the flow of the car chase uh, was. Oh my goodness. I had... Okay, let me see where I want to go with this. The group will have the chance to gather intel. Okay. Which you guys did. Um, Alright, the group has three turns to get from the medical facility with the kids to the van before the reinforcements arrive. Okay. So while you guys were releasing those kids and having them run to the van, I had a ticker going. Mm Mm-hmm. That um, you have two turns to get moving once the tactical squad gets to their location before the he- motorcycles, helicopter, and sports car begin their approach. Once the second wave of vehicles comes into play, the team has seven rounds to stop the onslaught. Okay. Tony can buy them more time by directing pack mates at the vehicles. Commandeering vehicles gets you an extra two rounds. Destroying the helicopter gets you three ter- three rounds, and taking out the Mack truck gets you an extra three rounds. By round four, if the team is struggling, that's when Danny and Johnny show up. Uh, You guys had win conditions, uh, which you all did phenomenal on. They were, one, destroy all vehicles. Number two, if you could occupy or distract them for three rounds, you would give Cypher, Tony's character, enough time to get away. Or... The group comes up with a solution I didn't see coming, and it's just badass enough to work. Yeah, I think that that's what we went with. Well, no, you destroyed all the vehicles. Yeah, I think that it was both. Yeah. So you guys also had fail conditions, which were you didn't retrieve all the children, or the van was destroyed, or if you led the pursuers to the cairn, or everybody died. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really sad that we didn't get to keep the original music for that game because of copyright issues. Because the soundtrack that I had had planned for that was so good. It, it was very good, but yeah, copyright issues um, uh, become a problem when you're trying to do a podcast. I can name them without us getting into legal trouble, right? Yeah. Okay, so it was a cover of My Heart Will Go On by Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, which is this banjo cover. And I just, the image of the white van with the helicopter whirling overhead and all of those vehicles and the Mack truck trailing them while that song plays is forever, like, it's just cemented in my brain. It is burned into my memory as one of my, the happiest moments for me as a GM ever. Like, I just, I get hype every time I hear that now. 
Uh, move, bitch, get out the way. Okay. And uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire's September was also on the on the list. Mm-hmm. And was there another one? I think there was a fourth one, but I can't fucking remember it. Oh my gosh. But yeah, the music the music was so important when I first started writing this, and I'm I'm just so sad that I haven't been able to include the original soundtrack because again, copyright issues. Green Day's never gonna let me use uh, on holiday. Mm-hmm. They're just not. So Okay. And then um, So um I have a personal question for you. I might have an answer. That's kind of interesting because you know, we're we're both running uh con- not in the same canon but like concurrent like World I of Darkness. I realize that they weren't in the same canon. I mean, they can be, but like we're running World of Darkness games, but they have our games have a vastly different tone to them. Okay. Um, whereas I tend to run, um, I wouldn't, well, the later half of your season tends to kind of get closer to mine with a a lot of the investigation heavy stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of mine is like, I started off with like, Hey, here's combat. Here's this, 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 here's a, here's a great like opener to this. And now here's a bunch of investigation and, Mm -hmm. As people start seeing, like, it's going to ramp up to combat after mm-hmm. a lot of other stuff. But here's where, the, like, you and me kind of tonally differ with World of Darkness. Um, you tend to go for... Um, I'm trying to think of a great way to phrase this. Um, you tend to go for... Um, a more a, a lighter tone to World of Darkness than a lot of other people are used to. A lot of a lot and of I do get some criticism for that actually. <clears throat> yeah. Um whereas I tend to like really like enjoy the nitty gritty. I tend to really indulge in the darkness of it and mm-hmm. like well, I mean it's world of darkness. Yeah. Well so w- why like I I'd, I'd like to like an- answer my own question too after you you do that. I mean I'll let you answer yours first. Why do you run your games that way? So the reason that I really just like get down in that darkness pit and just roll around in it like a pig in mud mm-hmm. is that I want to hammer home that this world sucks. Mm-hmm. That it is really shitty. Mm-hmm. That the everything is made of just fuck, mm-hmm. which makes the characters being the good guys make their um their uh, I guess their light in the world of darkness that much brighter because that is one of the things that I tend to do with the world of darkness is I do tend to run it as generally everyone's a good guy. If I run vampire, it. it probably skirt there's that. some gray areas there, there, yeah. there's, you run vampire or demon it, it tends to skirt that grayer area skirts even, that line skirts that line because you are creatures of darkness but with mage and werewolf i feel like that you are the you are the canon good guys more or less so that's why that i really like darker games i i don't like darker games i like the world around you guys being darker because I feel like that makes you guys being a light in it be that much brighter. It makes your actual impact on this shit world. Like, you see that, like, 
the first thing that I had you guys do in my werewolf game after your introduction was I had you go and rescue children that were kidnapped and scientifically and medically tortured. However, for me, it's very much a similar reason as to why I run this way. So one of my roles as a GM is no evil characters. It doesn't matter what system, what setting I'm running. That is a hardline rule for me. And the reason is, I dislike the world that we live in. It is depressing. It is dark. It is fucking oppressive. And as someone who struggles with anxiety and depression and all sorts of other mental illnesses, I don't play or run these games to be sad to be in a world that is oppressive and dark. And that's why I try to balance out the levity and the darkness in it. There's a lot coming in this game. You guys mm -hmm. literally are just like, I look at you as fledglings and this is like your first quest. This is you guys killing rats in a bar. I mean, that's, that's pretty fair. I don't think that a single one of us has actually spent XP. Exactly. So you guys haven't even gotten your first level. I still have a shit ton of XP to, to delve out for you guys. Because for me, the story is going to tell itself with you guys. You mm -hmm. guys are going to drive it. But there is an actual story and a point to everything that's happening. But the overarching theme of this is, and you guys have touched on it a little bit, like... There's not a lot of light in this. Like, it seems like fun and lighthearted, but it, and it is. But in the background, you have white supremacy. You have bombings. You have children being kidnapped. You have medical experiments. You have loved ones being tortured. You have a guy kicking a dog in an alley. You have a man whose world is broken. You have um, cults that are gathering and infiltrating once peaceful religions. Like, there's a lot to this that is kind of, like, in the background that you guys really haven't brought to the forefront because you're still kind of sinking your teeth into the main story. Okay. That that definitely makes more sense then, yeah. And yes, I do run a much more light game. And it's because I do not have the wherewithal to stay in that darkness, in that muck. It's not cathartic for me. So... When I run these games as your GM, the experience that I want to deliver is that this is like an action movie. You are going to have your 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 hits. You're going to have your 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 beautiful moments. You're going to have your humor, your comedy, and then there's going to be points where you're just scared. You don't know what's about to happen. There's this ominous that actually, feeling. That actually happened. That actually, yeah, no, that actually gets hit on a lot in the last episode. Yeah. Uh, with the uh, with the going to the karaoke contest and my stalker showing up. There's these bright moments. It's a karaoke contest. It's supposed to be bright and beautiful, and you guys are filled with dread. You've just spent your time helping a small community, like, with their tiny little woes and learning a little bit, and then... <laughs> Excuse you. I don't think that we, we call that... Uh... Helping a small community. The uh, the subtitle on the last two episodes are <laughs> The Gang Rigs a Karaoke Contest, Part 1 and Part 2. Well, you could only rig it by solving their problems. Yeah, you're right. It's, you, it's just... You guys go into a hospital and you help a little girl and her father find better uh, cancer treatment. 
you you uh, you get him away from a facility that's probably going to kill her his kid. You we help a husband and wife uh, have a great night out. You you <clears throat> at their favorite Chuck E. Cheese. We give a really sheltered guy a bunch of friends. You you give a, a man whose heart has been broken by divorce the courage to profess his love in a way that's actually going to come about. Like you guys did so many beautiful things in that session. Like I'm just I'm really fucking proud of you guys. But then you guys get to the karaoke contest, and the mood absolutely shifts. Um. Okay. So, if you could run the first season of Viva Las Vegas again, what is one thing that you would change? I would trim a lot of the fat. There's just too many NPCs. I overplanned. I made too big of a supporting cast. I would consolidate it big time. I probably wouldn't even introduce the majority of the player of the NPCs. Uh, like a lot of the tribal leaders. Yeah, and I would. Stuff. I would cut that fat big time. Unless you guys went seeking them out, I wouldn't have even introduced them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some plot drops that are probably not going to get uh, followed. Uh, specifically, ciphers because. Yeah, there's some ones with cipher that are probably not going to get followed, and that sucks. Um, Because he has a really interesting backstory that I'm sad we didn't get to uh, pursue further. But I might see if Tony can make cameos here and there. So, Or you could just, uh, like, since since Tony's not going to be in my game anymore either um, for Mage once I start running it again. um, I'm going to just have to do something with his PC and just see what we can do. Because his PC is incredibly interesting, but also really socially like not there very much like cypher was so what i might do is i might sit down with the talk with them about what he what he's comfortable with me doing but that's a conversation for another day um there's things like i think there was a couple of plot drops that i had given you guys that i'm gonna have to listen back through and see what i told you but i don't think that they're gonna get pursued um, but I am excited. I'm really, really excited you guys found your first Kyrick shard. You have n- I still have not told you guys what they are, despite the fact that you guys have made some really good guesses. Um, and just... Uh, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to just go on record and say what the, my guess was. What's your guess? My guess is, is that it's some sort of powerful uh, werewolf artifact, which is why Pentex was looking for it, to try and destroy it. Okay. It's some kind of powerful uh, Garu artifact that can um, just kind of based off of the name can like cure worm taint when it's all put together. Um, that's, that's a really good guess. That's uh, that that's my guess on it. But I have no like for all I know, it's like it's like a fucking weapon. It's a he's gonna it's a spirit thing. He's gonna scream when he finds out what it is. He's gonna like I'm, it's I'm a going karaoke contest. I'm gonna go on record right <laughs> now and say that uh, my husband actually does know what this is. Um, he's simply forgotten and it's going to be really exciting when he figures out ex- when I finally do reveal what a Keurig shard actually is. Okay. Um, so like, it's really exciting to me. There's, you guys have Are only- Are you going to give me mage powers? No. Oh. No. Because I would eat the shit out of that thing if it gave me mage oh powers. Oh my God. I do not want to give werewolves mage powers. You don't then- want to give me mage powers. No, no. I would give those to like Brit because she's adorable and it would be amazing to like superpower one of the squishiest players that I have. Because Brit is terrifying when she decides she wants to roleplay something terrifying. 
Um, so no, like I'm really excited for that. I'm excited because you guys, um, you're gonna start pursuing more. There's some like, other leads. I probably might ask you guys to split the party to track them all down. Um, I'm really surprised actually. There's one character in there. There's one NPC that I did that I'm really shocked that you guys took to so much because he was literally supposed to be a one-off. He was supposed to be a throwaway and just be a camp. Oh no, Gus is Gus is here to stay. I love Gus. I love playing Gus. Gus is o- so only much fun. Only if we go back fun. to the Chuck E. Cheese. You guys realize what that Chuck E. Cheese is, right? It's a hangout for werewolves. It is a sanctuary. It is a warded sanctuary within a city. Okay, so who's the NPC that? Tom Cardell. Oh God. Okay. Well, hey there, guys. Oh yeah. I just can't believe you. You know, well, shucks. I just I worked with a guy named Tom over the summer, and we would always make jokes about like, you know, his frat brothers and how they talked like they just were going to a golfing match. So we'd all do the fucking Tom voice behind the grill and just be laughing our asses off about like what waspy white men we sound like. Okay. I mean, he is going to get more play since we did invite him to the cairn to get treatment for his daughter. I mean, he's going to be there, but he's probably not going to play another major role. Like, Um, that was a plot that I didn't mean to throw in. That was supposed to be a red herring. Okay. Um, What was your favorite NPC voice to do besides Tom? Oh, gods. I'm trying to think. Gus. Gus? No. No, the old ladies. The old ladies. I love doing the old ladies. I especially love doing the crotchety old lady. Because mm-hmm. I never get to use that voice. So those two um, were based off of Mac and Charlie's mom from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. So, yeah. That's just... Ugh. It's just so much fun when I get these references in that are just from so many different things. Because with you, it's typically like anime references. Yeah, well, I'm a giant weeb, so... But mine are always a little bit more, like, obscure, I'd like to think. Yeah, you're referencing a guy that you worked with. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like, nobody's gonna get that fucking reference. Uh, yeah, no, if anyone listens to Let the Good Dice Roll, the amount of times that the words JoJo reference have come out <laughs> of my mouth are probably in the 30s. I think that there was, like, one episode where I just kind of looked at Christina and just kind of, like, sipped on a beer and went, JoJo reference. Oh, my God. JoJo reference. God damn it. Like, mine are a little weirder because um, they're not... They're not isolated to one specific media, and they're rarely referenced to, like, one uh, show or anything. Because, I mean, if I wanted to, I could easily run It's uh, it's Always Werewolf in, uh, in Las Vegas. <laughs> Which, you know, at times it feels like that, especially when you guys are at the fucking Denny's. <laughs> oh my god, the fucking Denny's episodes are fucking <laughs> fantastic. God, so, uh, that one has a special place in my heart, because... When I first moved back to the state, um, I would go to Denny's late at night with my buddy Fox. And it was when I was, like, in the darkest part of my depression when I was living further north. And uh, we would stay up 
at Denny's until like six o'clock in the morning. And he would just sit there and chain smoke back when you could smoke in fucking restaurants. And we would just talk. And he would just give me like insights on like how to just be a more grounded person. Because mm-hmm. I wasn't good at that. And so um, the Denny's episode very much brought me back to those conversations. And it was just, oh, you guys are great. You guys are so fucking great. I have... I always say whenever I put like up on Facebook or anything about this post about this game that I have the best fucking players. I literally couldn't ask for a better group to roll with. Um, because you guys fucking you push me harder than I thought that I could do. Like, okay, there was question for you then. Hmm. You had a lot of players. You had like eight or nine people to wrangle. Yeah. What kind of experience was that for you? It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, I just I always felt a little guilty that I didn't get a give everyone enough spotlight. Um, it was a little exhausting at times because I I until I was able to split you guys into like groups, working with like people wanting to go off individually was very very difficult because it it essentially became a much more chaotic situation whereas if i had you guys in groups of like three to four to like somewhere in there where there was wasn't just one of you mm-hmm. and i could drop you in a situation and then literally you guys took the reins right so it it worked out really well for me as a gm that while you guys were like giving me this amazing role play and social interaction i was getting a better feel for like how to shape that encounter. Which mm-hmm. is why so many encounters that I wrote just got tossed out the window. Right. Because you guys always surprise and delight me as players. Like, even when you go completely off the rails and decide to go on a two-hour side quest to the Umbra and the medical facility, when really you were just supposed to go in there, but I was having way too much fun with fucking Maury and... It was Christina, right? Yeah. Maury and Christina in that hospital. Like, I was just having too much fun with those two. And literally, I pulled that entire thing out of my ass. None of that was scripted. None of that was planned. Okay. There wasn't a single thing in there outside of Tom and his daughter was sick. The NPC that came in, the scenes in the Umbra, the ghosts that you guys encountered, all of that did not have any of that planned. And normally I have meticulous notes with contingency plans and like what they need to roll on dice and what kind of information they're going to be gathering because I am an obsessive GM when it comes to that and it's exhausting, which is why I take breaks. But writing out that scene was never like, it never crossed my mind. Like it just, it just didn't. And just, it was so satisfying. Okay. Um... Let me think. What was uh what was your favorite scene with each player? My favorite scene with Jake is easily every interaction with Joey Wines. Okay. And also like I really enjoy watching him step into the role of basically trying to be his tribal leader's right hand man. Because, like, that's something that I definitely see going on with him. Um, My favorite with Christina is is her interaction with her mom. 
Okay. Because, like, that back and forth is so intense. And, like, Christina is such a dynamic player. Like, I've seen so many different uh, role play facets from her. I've seen her go from serious to, like, hyperactive out of nowhere. Dear gods, get this woman a sedative to, like... Oh, so you mean whenever she's playing mage? Yes. To, to Odessa, who is just this very reserved and not necessarily shy, it, but, like, good middle ground. I think we were talking about this earlier when we were talking about uh, uh, just uh, te- technical stuff about, like, mic placement and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But it's, like... Christi- like, I was talking about uh, making sure that people, like, have, like, assigned seating at the table because, like, Jake projects. So Jake needs to be Not away from the, the mic. mic. Yeah. And, like, uh, like Brit- is, and like Brit tends to be quieter, so Brit needs to be closer to the mic. And, which is why I can typically play from the living room. Right. And then, like... <laughs> I'm loud, guys. But then, like... Christina is like that wild card that's like, oh, is Christina playing Odessa? Cool. Christina gets to sit next to the mic. Is Christina playing Rory? Go in the other room because you're too loud. You're shouty. You're shouty right now. That's what's going on. So I love her interact. I love interacting with uh, Christina when she's in like super spy mode, which is I'm here to gather information and I am going to be all about survival. It's so like. Her brain is terrifying, and getting her, getting to see her actually exercise it is amazing. Um, Britt, I loved her approaching Christina's character in the uh, in the medical facility. Like, but better than that was her being the only person who thought to open the fucking door. Okay. Like, and then her reaction when the Fomori just, like, popped on, she was like, huh, and then just punched it in the face. I think that, uh, personally, my favorite thing from Brit was, oh, yeah, I've got one of those, and then she hands you a beeper. Yeah. Or a pager. It's like, that's not how this works. She's hey, what's so... the social media? It's when you go and be social with the media. Oh, what's the media? Brit, you know what the media is. You go to concerts. <laughs> Or, um, her her just playing up that I don't understand technology aspect of being a lupus is oh like, yeah it's so pure it's and so, so perfect. Good. Um, I loved I loved Tony interacting with Gus. I didn't ask for any of this. <laughs> I didn't ask for any of this. Nope, 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 nope. We're going, we're going. <laughs> Him just grabbing me and just being like, nope, we're out of here, we're out of here. Oh yeah, hey Tony, hey hey man. Hey, Cypher, what's going... What's here? Let me explain the plot. Yeah, you can explain the plot to me in the van. <laughs> I also loved him trying to get the new vehicle from Joey Williams. From not Joey Williams, from Johnny Wiseau's. And it's the fucking... It's the station wagon from the vacation movies. Right? And he's just like, yeah, no, this is shitty enough. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh... Maury just fucking wrecking through the door like the juggernaut. (laughs) Or just being like, I'm the building breaker. I'm gonna break all the buildings. And just like, what the fuck? Um, oh god, Emily, when she had to meet up with the rest of the group and the way that she described her text messaging to you. Oh right, puppy face. Oh, I wish Emily had gotten more screen time. I'm so excited for her to play some more. I'm so glad that she like text messaged me because I was like, oh yeah, don't worry about it. I've got, I've, I've literally got ranks in like social media, so I totally get like this emoji speak. Yeah, and like she's, she's tech savvy enough that she can handle it. 
Um, oh, gods, I'm missing someone, aren't I? Um, Jake, Maury, Britt, I'm missing Christina. you. My favorite. Tony, wait, are we missing anyone else besides me? I'm going to feel really bad. We have to edit part of this out because I feel like shit because I've forgotten who my players are. No. That's no, all no. of them. I feel like we had more people, but okay. It felt like more because there were so many fucking NPCs. Okay, that's fair. Uh, but my favorite moment with you has been, like, you dealing with accidentally uploading medical porn, <laughs> dealing with your manager afterwards, watching you handle the situation at the bank, but just watching you come out of your shell so completely to do that karaoke performance 10 years ago this never would have fucking happened i never would have gotten my husband to sing in in public much less on recorded video like you grew into like this incredible ridiculous amazing person for that one scene. I, I, I was gonna say like there's also that time that i'm like being like, no, listen here, my stats say that I'm super flexible, so I put my leg up on the counter. <laughs> you do know how high the counters are. Yes, I know. I put my leg up. I was just like, oh my god, those pants are not gonna make it. Like <laughs> That, um, all the, all of the social media bullshit, because, like, I do not really do social media. I don't have an Instagram. I don't do any of that stuff. I barely do Twitter. I only really have Facebook for me. keeping, for you and keeping, and <laughs> like, meme lord. yeah, and posting fucking dumbass memes and like posting the podcast to other people. Which to all six of you that periodically like my memes, you the real MVPs. Like, I don't really like, but immediately as soon as it's like, oh yeah, no, 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 we'll get, we'll get this done. We'll get this done. We'll get this done. Like just kind of regurgitating everything that I've heard about social media and making it sound believable. Right? Because, like, I'm also old and I don't use many of those things. Like, I don't think I've been on Twitter in a couple of months, which I plan to be um, after the holidays. And that's the cat in the background losing her goddamn mind. Um, but for me, it was... I knew enough about, like, I guess fake Hollywood speech that I knew how to make it work. Right. Like, I just channeled my inner 90s. Don't, don't worry, baby. I got you, baby. Uh, don't call all... My people will call your people. Like, sooner, like, I'll pencil you in. 90s uh, fucking agent speak that you'd see in some fucking cheesy Hollywood movie. Okay. Um, um, so that covers all the players. So I have one last question before we wrap it up. Okay. Do you have any teasers or anything planned for season two when that finally happens? Oh, I do. So, uh, last we left off in Werewolf the Apocalypse, the group was careening away from the Applebee's, right? Yep. With, uh, what was it, Lacey King, who had just found her mark and lost him again. Mm -hmm. Um, you guys had your first Keurig shard, and you'd had a number of leads. Um, I foresee a rock concert. Okay. A uh, professional wrestling match and a storming of an art gallery in your future. That sounds fantastic. But underground, you still have that door and uh, Crawdaddy's tunnel that you have not gone through. Mm. And perhaps, perhaps, that bumpkin croc knows more than he lets on. 
Or perhaps he's just a bumpkin werecroc who just says more than he really needs to. <laughs> you overshare too much information. <laughs> I love Gus so much. Oh, man. With, with Cypher gone, we're going to have to find a new uh, group dad. Well, I'm not going to nominate anybody. It's not going to be me. Uh, well, you punched a kid. After doing a backflip to try and impress them. Just fucking... I will never forget that moment. I'm, I was pressured into it. You were not! You were not pressured into that moment at all! Listen here, my mind goblins pressured me into it. Oh my god! I sat there and I gave you an out and you were like, everyone told me to do it. I was like, no! No, they didn't! No, they fucking didn't! You had every opportunity not to do the thing, but you did it and it was iconic and I love you for it. My mind goblins told me to do the thing. I have been told by a, a friend that uh, listening to that episode and listening to my reaction to you when you made that uh, was terrifying because that's a tone of voice that they almost never hear me use. Uh, because you caught me by such surprise that I was like, I'm sorry, you're going to do what? You're amazing. Like, I know that I'm hard on you, but you're an amazing player. Like, I love my players. Just, I'm ex- I just wish I hadn't gotten burnout with running, but it's good that I'm taking the time to sit down and really work on what's going to come next so I can, instead of just run, like, running by the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. Because there is a story. I do have a legitimate story to tell that's not just you guys hanging out in Denny's and going to Chuck E. Cheese and, like, breaking into medical facilities. But, and like, then winning a karaoke contest. Yeah, like, there's so much more to this than just the ridiculousness. But, like, you guys have just scratched the surface, and I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to, uh, to start digging. Okay. Uh, well. I do have one question for you. Okay. As a player... Mm-hmm. What would you say is your favorite part of this game? Oh, man. Put it on the spot. It's so hard to think of it because I've been the one who's been editing everything. So I have to listen through like two yeah. or three times. And then I, you know, listen through again once the whole thing's posted up just because why not? Yeah. Um,. Is there a specific beat that I've hit that you really just I love? really like the way that you do combat. It is super fast-paced, and it makes me feel fucking powerful and great. Um, I Welcome think, to Michael Bay's Werewolf the Apocalypse. Yeah, I, th- I think you do combat exceptionally well. Um, like, there's almost no downtime between you making a decision and being like, yeah, you hit. No, you don't. It's literally the only downtime is waiting for us to roll dice. Yeah. Um, I think that... Besides combat, my favorite thing has been, um, honestly, just how cohesive that the game feels. Like, you're not, like, you're not railroading us, but you're also not, like... It's not super open world. It's not, yeah, it's not super open world. You don't feel, like, you're literally in a sandbox, but you don't feel like you are. Yeah. Because you're in Vegas. It's yeah. a giant sandbox. I, 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 I make I jokes. Um, I can joke. Okay, yeah, that's that would that would probably be. I I think that honestly, the combat was my favorite part. Um, the, the, near the end, I really got into the social situations, but before that, I just had no idea what the character was besides combat monkey. Honestly, when people are entering into a system for the first time, I think it's easiest to start them in combat because the one thing that they know about their character is their stats. Right. And I told you guys from the beginning that you have to be combat capable. Mm-hmm. 
so by doing that, I gave you guys an opportunity to kind of get a feel for how the game works before slowly easing you into a social situation. Right. So, like, yeah, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Like, I'm really yeah. excited for season two. Okay. Yeah. Uh, season two will be coming out. Uh, next fall. Next fall, most likely. Yeah. Uh, Sorry for the long wait, but trust we, me, it's going to be We've got to wait for players to be able to get together, get some time, and for you to not be in school to actually run it. It'll suck, but uh, if I can't get Emily back in this game, it's not going to start back up again. And right. I know that sounds really crappy, but I literally am running this game for my best friend. No, no, that's fair. We can edit that part out. Yeah. But. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> she'll, she'll have to hear this one day and be like, oh. Yeah, man. Like, I'm not running that game without her or Britt. Okay. So, um, then just, uh, so just to kind of end this whole episode, um, you can follow us both on Twitter. I'm at a pair of dice lost. Um, I'm at GM Crow one. That's the numerical number one. You should guys check out, you should always check out our blog. Christine has been doing a really great job keeping it updated. We actually do pay for a subscription for that. So the more traffic we get, yay, the better. Um, Um, like download, subscribe, share, let your friends know word of mouth, quote us as much as you can make memes about us. Fuck. I would love to see some fucking paradise lost memes. I would love to see those two memes. Memes are the new internet currency. You guys don't understand how much I love memes. Like, when I'm having a bad day, send me memes. Like, um, also, uh, I, I recently I submitted our podcast to iTunes, so we should start getting. Oh my god, uh, that's big. That's that, yeah, that's, that, really that's big. a pretty big thing. Uh, we should start getting that crowd there. Um, we do run our weekly banter podcast with me and Christina. That is mostly the exalted retrospective, but when that we do get questions, we do answer them. You can send those questions to us at a pair of dice lost at gmail.com. I am always open to answer any kind of questions, giving GM tips, talking about anything that actually isn't like, you know, tabletop related, even if you just want to get to like ask us like best best thing, worst thing, what would you do in this situation? Like just what kind of tea do you drink when it's after hours and no one is around to see you in your underwear eating Cheetos? I'm about this question. I have an answer. So, um, for a pair of dice lost podcasting channel, I was Brendan. I am Julia, uh, director of Michael Bay's Presents Werewolf the Apocalypse. And we will see you all uh, next time. I think the next episode that goes up after this is going to be a mage episode. Yep. Followed hopefully by iron kingdoms all right guys thanks for listening we really appreciate you and uh i can't wait for you all to return for season two because i can't wait to return for season two thanks for listening guys we appreciate you this is the end of the beginning all the beginning i'm